I just think that parents have to understand what dysregulates themselves. I want to repeat that because the more you can understand what dysregulates you, and it happens by taking notes and understanding your environment, the more you can help your child. This is a Therapy for Dads podcast. I am your host. My name is Travis. I'm a therapist, a dad, a husband. Here at Therapy for Dads, we provide content around the integration of holistic mental health, well-researched evidence-based education, and parenthood. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Therapy for Dads podcast. Um, I say this a lot, but I'm so excited to talk to this individual today. I've had the pleasure of being on her podcast not too long ago. I was very honored to be able to be on her platform and share um, kind of from a dad's man's perspective around emotions and different things like that. And kind of doing a little deep dive series on brain development and kids and different things like that. And Cindy uh, from The Curious Neuron, which is an awesome name, by the way, very catchy, and I love <laughs> it. Um, this is a big area of expertise for her with her research and what she's doing on her platform and just life as well as who she is. And so I don't want to sp spill the beans too much, but welcome, Cindy, to the podcast. I'm so <laughs> glad you're on and so stoked to talk to you today. So welcome. Hi, Travis. I'm really happy to be here. I think this topic is a topic we need to talk a lot more about in society and as parents mostly. And I'm excited to talk about it with you. Yeah. Well, you're calling from Canada. Where in Canada are you about? Yes, right I'm based in Montreal, hence the French accent. Um, <laughs> and I did a PhD in neuroscience here at McGill University. I studied schizophrenia and psychosis in um, early uh, in youth. And for me, what I focused on was a lot of the emotional aspects of mental health and the cognitive aspects of mental health in these individuals. And once I became a parent, that mm. emotion part really triggered me. I was like, why do I, you know, I know all the science behind like my kids kind of development of the brain and emotions and how they developed. I had to learn that that whole part for my PhD and is why can't I handle these tantrums? <laughs> What's wrong with me? I thought I, I knew all this stuff, right? So I naively went into parenting thinking, you know, I've got this. this is, it's not hard. Mm. I understand emotion regulation skills, but I had never understood emotion regulation skills in myself. So I started Curious Neuron. Mm. I started blogging about the science of emotions and what that meant. And I touched on all aspects of development. But recently, I'm focusing a lot more on emotional health and mental health because I've noticed that not just kids, but parents need a lot more of that mm. knowledge and that understanding about their emotions and, and, and how to manage big emotions all day. Because we have a lot of big emotions just like kids. Um, so yep. that's what I've been doing. And I've extended my work. So Curious Neuron is a free resource for parents. There's a blog and I have a podcast and I have social media, um, a YouTube channel. But I've also extended this emotion regulation and, and how to teach this to kids into an app that I have called mm. Wondergrade. So it's for kids ages three to eight and i trying to find any way possible to get this information out mm. and that's really why i wanted you on um mm. is for everything you just said like all those reasons is why i wanted you to be on the podcast because we I, we have a similar passion and drive and heart for this myself being a you know mental health therapist as well uh, you've done significant research on the on brain development and things like that, which is a little different than what I've done, but so, I mean, we're in the same field. And yeah. so hearing your passion, becoming a parent, I too trained in emotion regulation and trauma. I mean, I do that every day for my job. This is what I do. And even then, it's not always easy. And also with our kids and feeling that kind of dysregulated state, which is just part of being human for various mm -hmm. reasons, is part of going through life as you, you're stressed out or whatever. And you have low energy, you haven't eaten, you know, various reasons that could cause us to be dysregulated or have big emotions. And so do your kiddos. And so mm -hmm. I too have a heart and passion for helping 
parents and even more specifically dads and men because of really the need of helping us understand our states helps us help our kids. And so what you're doing is totally spot on. And the topic of today is dysregulation. And really, I think a great place to start with that is, well, what is it? What, let's have a working definition. I know it's very research term science, but I think, hey, you know what? Let's get some science in here. That's why I brought you on. You could really speak to that and get into the nitty gritty brain stuff. But what, what is a working definition of dysregulation? Yeah, we're hearing that term a lot recently. And I mm. think um, what really marked me as a parent that posted in my comments a couple, a couple months ago was, well, you keep saying dysregulation, but what does it mean? And I realized mm. that I had never really defined it or explained it. And the way that I like to explain it is picture some sort of emotional event. Uh, somebody says something to you or something happens with your kids. In that moment, you are going to experience an internal aspect to that emotional event and an external aspect. So Internally, there'll be an emotion or a feeling that you're experiencing that's causing perhaps some increased heart rate, um, increased breathing rate. You might not even realize it, but you might um, be sweating a little bit more or the temperature changes. So there's an internal aspect to that. Um, you know, your thoughts might turn to something negative or, you know, something might happen internally or many things might happen. Then in addition to that, there's a lot going on externally. You're going to behave a certain way, whether that's verbal or nonverbal. You're going to communicate things a certain way. Your tone might change. So there's a lot that's happening. And I, I like to explain it this way as well for kids, just to touch on tantrums, like for three seconds, because I'm also trying to remove that word tantrum from our vocabulary. Not that it's, mm. I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. However, we're using it to kind of point fingers at toddlers and kids saying like, mm. oh, they're having these tantrums, these terrible twos, when in, in, in essence, they're teach me twos because they are having these dysregulated moments. So if we see them as having a dysregulated moment and we start using that word a lot more with ourselves as well, we see each other as similar in terms of emotions, mm. which we are. We're human and they're going to experience it more because of certain reasons, which we'll explain soon, I'm guessing. Like, like there's a brain, you know, a, a biological reason. Um, but we just, our brain has developed, so we're not experiencing them all the time. But, you know, I could say that I have two, three tantrums a week. If, if we use it the same way as toddlers, and yeah. I'm okay with saying that because there are moments when I'm completely dysregulated and it's like an emotional hijacking of the brain. You're not mm. really thinking anymore. You're just acting or behaving or it could be aggressive or not. Um, but they have it and we have it too. So just wanted to touch on the, the toddlers to give them a little shout out. <laughs> yeah, I think it's needed. Um, yes. <laughs> I too, I, I think it can be punitive and as a tantrum, it's bad. We need to stop it. I think that's what I'm, a lot of what I hear when parents come in is like, oh, they're tantruming and they're having meltdowns and it's mm-hmm. often in a us versus them thing. You know, we got to fix mm-hmm. the problem and, and that's the problem is their bad, bad behavior, quote unquote. Yes, it's a behavior Those that are thing. listening, it's bad behavior. And, and I love how you put it. It's dysregulation. It's emotion dysregulation and that just like we have it, or if we want to use the word tantrum, we have to also apply it to ourselves. I I think that's absolutely, I tell parents all the time, it's like, well, when was your last tantrum? (laughs) And they look at me, I'm like, well, and I unpack it for them. And I think of, um, I just had Tina Bryson on, Dr. Tina Bryson. She said that similar to you is that really the behavior of a kid, a child is communicating a need or a skill that has yet to be learned or um, strengthened, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So tantrum is really communicating that there's a need that they don't have yet or a skill that, that has yet to be really exercised. So I, I, I think it's, these are great reframes of really us as parents coming alongside to help build these skills. So I love, I love the way you put that. 
And if um, you use that, what you just said, we can apply that to us as well, right? So let's totally. let's take that definition. Um, for me, I think that when we are having many of these dysregulated moments in our mm. in our home or in our you know with our family, there's some sort of unmet need, and and this mm. is what I try to communicate to parents. If if you're having these big emotional moments and yelling a lot, a lot of parents feel guilty around that and mm. and feel that why why am I doing this? What's wrong? Why did I react that way? And I'll get emails from parents telling me I, I went from zero to hundred and I don't know why I just do it all the time. And then I feel bad and I go to bed and I'm thinking about it and I tell myself I won't do it tomorrow. And then breakfast happens and then I lose it again. You know, for me, it's it's not that you went from zero to 100. It's that you really didn't recognize the one to 99 and mm. that one to 99 could have been um I don't know, sensory simulation, like overstimulation that you didn't recognize. It could have been comments from your partner or your kids having big emotions that you keep having to co-regulate and you're always yeah. the strong one. And you're, that's not hard. It's not easy to do. It's very difficult. So by the end of the day, that 4 p.m. ish <laughs> time, we kind of lose it more. It's because mm. we are dysregulated and we're not in tuned with, with ourselves and our emotions. And we're just kind of like, plowing through the day and then the end of the day happens and we can't keep her cool and we get mad at ourselves too and we get mad at our kids and we yell at them. I think if we become more emotionally aware as parents and we start to understand what dysregulates us, why, to understand our nervous system, to understand how our childhood impacted our emotions and it's it's there could be trauma but sometimes there isn't. Sometimes mm. it just comes from a place where your home wasn't emotionally safe. And that doesn't mean that you weren't physically safe or mentally safe. It just means that you didn't have a space to express your emotions or that mm. your parents didn't teach you what it felt like to, to feel certain emotions and how to cope with them. So if you didn't grow up that way, which most of us didn't, because when you think of emotions, the, the emotion, like emotional intelligence and all of that really started in the 90s, which is just like yesterday. So mm -hmm. we really have to realize that our parents didn't have the tools and mm. emotions were often viewed as bad behavior, um, including in my home. So there's a lot that plays into that. But the more we become emotionally aware parents, the more that we could really understand ourselves and then control ourselves more in certain situations. Yeah. And so we have this, and, and I totally, totally agree. Same, same thing raised in a home, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily overt trauma, but it was just a lack of, you know, don't feel this, go to your room, things like that. Right. Um, yeah. Wasn't a lot of emotional conversation around emotions we didn't really talk about it so it's more of a, an absence of something and so you're right as a kid you're left with like what do i do with this and you have to figure right. it out and it can turn into different things but so we have this working definition of you know what it is what is dysregulation and why the importance of reframing it as that we all have this whether we're five or 55 you know okay. 95 yeah. it just might look slightly different you know uh, a 55 year old may not go on the floor tantruming and throwing things Maybe. I mean, it's not out of the realm of complete possibility. <laughs> it could happen. It just might look a little more sophisticated. Um, but we have the same responses because we're, yeah. we're all human. We all have this, right? So can you speak more about some of these kind of internal, external signs to be building awareness for adults and or signs as well as as we look at our kiddos? How do we start to like become more aware of these things? What does it actually look like? Yeah. So the first thing I like to tell parents is to just ask yourself the question, like how regulated am I right now? And to do that mm -hmm. multiple times per day. 
Um, I like to picture some sort of like green, yellow and red zone meter thing in my head. I played a lot of Mortal Kombat when I was growing up. And I just think of that, <laughs> you know, like you start in the green zone, you get a couple punches. You're in the yellow zone, you get kicked. Oh, you're in the red zone. And then last kick, then you're flashing red. And that last kick, you're out. <laughs> so you made me laugh because it brought me back. So I also right? played Mortal Kombat. So, yeah, there you go. But having that sort of visual throughout the day. That's good, yeah. And waking up, um, when you wake up, it's not a brand new day when it comes to your brain. <laughs> Mm. it's a continuation of yesterday and it's a continuation of your life. So if you, and I say that because I think sometimes parents say like, it'll be better tomorrow. It might be, but if again, depending on your childhood, you might have, you might always or consistently be in the yellow zone, maybe closer to the green zone or maybe there's a range, right? So if, if you had some sort of trauma or experienced some, something in your childhood, you might have trouble getting into that green zone and you need to be aware mm. of that. So asking yourself, you know, how regulated am I and, and what's, what it feels like to be regulated is calm, um, completely focused well, because concentration is impacted by your level of dysregulation. Um, your thoughts are positive. You, you know, just feel like you can tackle the day and, and nothing will stop you, right? It's that kind of really calm feeling. And mm. it doesn't necessarily have to be happy, but, you know, yes, it, it, calm and content. And, you know, there are so many ways of describing our emotions. Mark Brackett, you know, mentioned 64, I think. So when we, we ask ourselves how we're feeling, it's it's a little bit different now because I'm thinking about my, my tension level. I'm thinking about a little bit more than that. So if you are in the yellow zone, perhaps you have... Uh, a deadline for work, or perhaps you had a discussion or a heavy argument with your partner the night before that's unresolved. Perhaps mm -hmm. you spoke with a family member and you hung up on each other and you weren't, you know, really happy with that. If there's a little bit of something on your mind or, um, I don't know, I, I use the example of my toddler when he would jump into my bed in the morning and kick me in the face by mistake. <laughs> I wake up dysregulated. I mean, I would wake up dysregulated because nobody wants to wake up that way in shock of like, what's this in my face? So, <laughs> It's not that I wanted to, but I mean, yeah. you know, I'd wake up in the yellow zone and, and I'd have to consciously try to bring myself in the, in the green zone because I just didn't like being woken up that way. So just being aware of like where you're what you're feeling in that moment and what's on your mind, stress mm. levels that you might have, unresolved emotions that, you know, you haven't been able to deal with yet. Um, and the heavier they are, you might be in the red zone. You might be in a, mm. in a place where... Any little thing will throw you off and you mm. are constantly telling yourself, I need to make it through the day, but you just started your day. So that's the red zone. You're not focusing because your mind is somewhere else mm. and you're just about to explode and you're, you're very aware of that. Now, some parents ask me, great, so if I start my day in the red zone, what's that, what's going to change if I'm, you know, at breakfast with my kids and somebody, one of them spills milk and I lose it. Mm. So being aware of means that you will have to speak to yourself differently in those moments. That's kind of like the mindfulness part of it, right? So your child spills milk to take a moment. Don't, you know, you take a moment to respond and to think to yourself and to say, I'm really dysregulated right now. Or you might yell. You might have a moment where you lose it. And I don't want parents to think that it's you like success is never yelling. That's not mm. it. If you have to let it out, let it out. But if you can take a moment to say to yourself, I'm completely dysregulated, it's not about them, it wasn't their fault, they knocked it over, I saw, then just take a breath and then respond to it. Don't mm. react right away. Create a pause between the action and your reaction to just take a moment. Same thing with your partner, right? Like you can have a morning where you're completely dysregulated, you're in the red zone, 
and then you notice the dishes are still in the sink and mm. you just want to lose it. Maybe speaking about it instead, right? Telling them, I, I, I thought I, I expressed that I needed some help last night. I, I'm already feeling stressed because of whatever or, you know, I had an argument with my mother or my father on the phone last night and it's on my mind. Would you please be able to help me? Having that ability to communicate your your, your needs and your emotions in that moment, just something that you can use as your as, as as a way to kind of navigate your day with your emotions. So, so I start off with that, like asking myself like where I am in that zone. Yeah, it's, more- it's, it's a building awareness, right? Pausing to, yeah. it's like assess where am I? It's like taking a step back. I think of the stop skill, right? Stop, yeah. take a step back, breathe, observe yourself, surroundings, and then proceed mindfully, right? That. And I love the the Mortal Kombat just made me laugh because it's to, <laughs> so true. And I and I totally visualize Street Fighter. I think I yeah. grew up playing those games in the arcade. Same. And that was a um, <laughs> so it totally brought me back. And I totally visually now I, I, that will never leave my head. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think the first thing is you know is building awareness is the first step. Is what I'm hearing is building awareness for ourselves as as parents because we have to do that because our kids are their brains are still developing just a little and they most likely don't have that skill set yet, or if they do, still not strong enough yet to do it on the regular because their brains are still developed. And so we kind of, as we practice that, we're modeling that kind of pause. And so that that's kind of step one. And I'm wondering if we kind of, because I want to do more about how we get out of it. But mm-hmm. Before we go into more like, okay, now what? Which I think is good that we laid just stepping that back and pausing and taking a breath is a great first step in building awareness. But before we go into like resolving it, I think... I would love to go a little bit more into like the the geek stuff, the nerd stuff, the the science of it, of what's really happening physiologically, you know, neurologically when we get dysregulated. I think having a better understanding of that might help parents better grasp. Oh, that's why it's not always easy. Like we just, you know, snap our fingers and all of a sudden we're, we're you know, I'm calm and regulated or, or my kiddo might <laughs> take wish. time to go yeah. from totally dysregulated, like to now calm. Like why, why when I go in there, I tell my kid to breathe, they're not breathing and now they're upset. Now I'm upset. And it was like five seconds and now we're more upset with each other and it's not working and I'm throwing everything out and I'm going to go back to yelling. Right. Cause we have this idea, I think even myself is it should just work sometimes. So let's Get a little nitty gritty here with the science. So can you tell me more what's happening inside? So I want everybody to picture like a mountain. So at the Mm -hmm. bottom of this mountain, you are in that green zone. You're fully regulated and your brain is functioning normally as it should. Everything is talking to whatever it's supposed to be talking to in the brain. Then when you are slightly dysregulated, it's this information that's coming in and coming in. It's like a bottom up approach. Dr. Bruce Perry talks about it this way. And I, I love his his example of this. So. As you are getting dysregulated, there is less and less communication between your emotions, part of the brain, and your prefrontal cortex behind your forehead. This is what's happening. Now, imagine yourself at the top of that mountain, you or your child, um, when you are in the red zone and fully dysregulated and your child is either having a tantrum or you are at your maximum and have nothing left. Um, you are not communicating with your frontal lobe, similar to a child, same as a child, actually. And you're not being, um, you're not thinking through what you're doing. You're not thinking through what you're saying. You're not thinking through your actions. That's why we have moments with our partners or friends or family members where we say, I I didn't mean to say that, or I'm sorry that I said that it just Mm. came out because we're not thinking the same way. That connection is not as strong anymore. And we're not able to say, because the amygdala, the emotions part of the brain will talk to that prefrontal cortex and say, hey, I'm feeling frustrated. What do I do with this now, right? So Mm. if we think about um, being at work and our boss says something to us, you know, we might be so angry in the moment, but we can't say anything because we're like, I can't get fired. (laughs) I just, so we're able to regulate ourselves enough to say, I'm so 
pissed at this guy or this girl and I'm just going to step back right now. I'm not going to flip the desk, although I do want to and I'll picture it in my head. But I yeah. know that I can't do that. But we have moments where there's this emotional hijacking and it's gone. We can't even do that, right? Like we're at home and we we might throw something or we might say something that we regret. So we have those moments when we're dysregulated that nothing helps. Mm. Um, what I want parents to picture is uh, when you're in a really heated argument with your partner, if they were to see that you're really overreacting and your emotions are really big, you're at the top of that mountain, you are fully dysregulated. How does it feel for them to be like, calm down, take a <laughs> breath? <laughs> it doesn't feel good. You're like, shut up. <laughs> I'm not, leave me alone. Right. It makes it worse. Right. And I what was I telling you or telling your partner if she come, like if I told my wife she came and she's a hard time, like just calm down, just have a breath. Yeah. She'd be, <laughs> it would just totally From yellow to red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. probably push her. I would probably yeah. throw her off Over, the mountain. Yeah. yeah. Well, the same thing applies with our kids, right? Yes. So I'm saying it that way as an adult because if you're with your partner and they're dysregulated, all they need in that moment is to feel seen, to feel mm -hmm. heard, and to know that they have a safe space to express their emotions right now. And it's the same for our kids. But when they're having tantrums, we see it as behavioral. We have it as behavioral too. But if, if our kids are having these big emotions... And, and we can actually see it as them being dysregulated and needing to feel seen, to feel heard, and to be soothed in some way or feel safe, like Tina and, and um, uh, Dan Siegel's books, right? The mm -hmm. To feel seen, safe, soothed, soothed is secure. secure. Yeah. The four S's. Mm -hmm. It applies to everything. It's explained and researched differently, but it comes down to that. And right. we need that. It doesn't matter if we're 50 years old or five years old. We need that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what our partner needs from us in that moment. And that's what our child needs from us from that moment. So parents will email me. They'll tell me, you know, I told my child to calm down or to take a deep breath when they were like having a tantrum. But if you picture them being at the top of the mountain, it will do absolutely nothing to say that to them. They can't even hear you. Mm. Um, so you and it might want, make them more upset. Yeah, exactly. It will. Exactly. So so when we're fully dysregulated, there's a disconnection in the brain. Our emotions are exaggerated. We just need to find a way to come back down and to bring that brain, our mm. brain back down to a regulated, you know, feeling regulated. There are many different ways of doing that. But sometimes with kids or even ourselves, it's just time and space. We need mm -hmm. time away. Like I've explained to my kids, you know, sometimes when I'm feeling frustrated about something, I there's a family member that I'll, I'll often have heated arguments with and they know that. And sometimes they come to give me a hug. And I've explained to them that, Mommy sometimes needs a hug, but sometimes a hug makes it worse. When mm. we're aware, when we're emotionally aware of what regulates us and dysregulates us, we have to make some sort of list and we have mm. to take notes throughout our day. If a parent really wants to understand their level of dysregulation, it'll be different for you and very different for me. So mm. I learned as a parent that I'm stimulated by, by sights, by like objects in the house. So I, I know kids have to be kids. But I also, I'm also aware that that could dysregulate me. So if I see mm. Legos all over the floor with the magnetic tiles beside it, with the <laughs> dolls beside it, <laughs> whoo, just saying it, my heart is pounding. <laughs> you can feel I your just, nervous system getting right? activated. Yes, because yeah. I'm picturing it. But I, 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 and <laughs> all joking aside, it really dysregulates me. Yeah, yeah. And and also noise. I'm home with three mm. kids all day and yeah. The, the sound and the, the they're being kids and it's not that you don't love your kids but mm -hmm. it dysregulates my nervous system so mm. around 4 or 5 p.m that's when i bring in either quiet tv time or an app that they can play with 
um, with their headphones on or a puzzle that they can do or go outside. Mm. <laughs> Something yeah. that I could be, because I'm emotionally aware, I'm able mm -hmm. to say this is the time I need to regulate my system because I won't make it through dinner and I won't make it through be bedtime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, and, and, and you're going back to, the, I love the mountain analogy, and because the, the, what's happening internally, and I think that's so important, is that, you know, as I was going through grad school and learning and understanding more, and sometimes I, you know, forget it, because I get into my own, I'm at my capacity, even as a therapist, and I, 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 yeah. I'm always trying to be very honest on my podcast, say, yeah, I know these things, but it doesn't mean I'm not, I'm far from perfect, I make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Now, I mm -hmm. repair, that's very important, yeah. um, to repair when, when we do get upset or raise our voice, or I'm dysregulated because we're modeling, but all to say is that we sometimes forget that there is something happening that we can't see with our eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's the part of the brain of the, you know, the PFC, the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. You, and you can tell me as a, as a neuroscientist, right? It's completely underdeveloped at five, right? I mean, yes. we got a long way to go, right? What's the average age? Just so parents 20 know to this. 25. Yeah. 20, 25. And typically females develop quicker in general, yeah. right? Yeah. Than boys. Early 20s. Yeah. Boys tend to be a little more lagging and at least in this part of the brain, yeah. Um, you know, the impulse control stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, that's so important as part of that mountain analogy that our kids, they may not have that yet. That connection's weak, maybe there, kind of hits it right, sometimes completely misses it, you know? Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that, that there's something happening in the brain that, because when they're in a dysregulated state, what part of the brain is activated? Well, the thalamus is activated because the thalamus is taking up all the sensory information from the mm. outside world into the brain. So mm -hmm. when you're, as you've pictured the, this like layered aspect, like the thalamus at the bottom, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex at the top, they're all communicating with, you, with each other. And the thalamus is super activated and telling the amygdala, like, let's blow up those emotions, let's party. And then they're yeah. saying like, don't let the prefrontal cortex into this party. And then there's no communication. <laughs> that's <'cause> <laughs> right? good. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what's yeah. happening in the brain. Yeah. So that's why we hear a lot about like these calming corners for kids or mm. sensory items and how that's, again, that's such new research. So I think being aware of that as a parent, we can say, I need calm right now, or mm. I need, uh, I don't know, I, I need to ground myself a little bit and go outside get some sun or like just touch the grass with my feet and that's yeah. what we we hear about but we don't understand right. why we're doing that sometimes you know and that's yeah. the aspect of like regulating your nervous system is is that sensory yeah. part well because then going back to that piece of the the, the mountain right when you mm -hmm. said you know to because kids need to be seen right yeah and and soothe right so meeting mm -hmm. them where they are not breathe because if i tell my kid to breathe it's like telling my spouse calm down right mm -hmm. especially when you're dysregulated because in that moment she doesn't need me to say calm down she needs me to listen and maybe give her a hug mm -hmm. uh validate right which actually mm -hmm. validate yeah does something to the brain so when we do that as parents which is why when we say to our kids sometimes calm down take a breath it's like they'd get more upset because we're essentially saying what we would say to a spouse mm -hmm. that doesn't work because in that moment they don't need that they need to be safe and seen so what are some practical things you give parents in that space um to help their kids feel safe and seen in that moment yeah. like what are a couple things you do just super quickly on the validation part because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so important yes, whether yes, it's yes. with your partner or with your child when you are saying i see that you're frustrated right now i may not understand it for you i, I don't it doesn't matter who you're talking to right now it could be a spouse or a child mm -hmm. i don't understand it but i could see you're really frustrated right now or, mm -hmm. or not even putting words in, the, in like an emotion in the person's mouth but just saying like i could see this is really bothering you like i i don't understand it i want to but like i i, I see you 
Hmm. There's an aspect of the brain. So there's a part of the brain that's involved. Like, you know, the stress system is involved when you're emotional. The, um, the uh, reward system is also a big part of this. And I just want people to have an understanding of why we're validating and why we're, ha- you know, helping a partner or a child feel seen or um, heard. It's because it triggers that reward system. And that's, that feels good to us. Hmm. And when we feel good, we, it's another way of deactivating that dysregulated brain. When you feel seen and you feel happy and and feel good about what's happening, even if you're not happy, you know what? I don't know if that's complicated, but I'm saying like you're frustrated in that moment, but now you got a glimpse of like somebody hearing you and validating your emotions. That reward mm. system kicks in, and 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 then you're like, ah, oh, okay, I'm still super mad, mm. but like, thank you, that felt great. Again, yeah. doesn't matter that you're three years old or thirty years old; it just feels good. So, yeah. because just, in general, what 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 hormones are being released in that moment? You said that you're saying the reward center. So for those that are still new to this, like what, what chemicals being released or chemicals are being released when that happens? Your happy chemicals, right? Mm. So anything that's making you feel like the, the, the dopamine, I, I have to look back into that because dopamine is an anticipation. It's often used as saying like a feel good hormone, but it's an anticipation of something that, um, mm. but I, I, I think it does come out a little bit in that anything mm-hmm. that makes you feel happy and relieved and, and rewarded. Same thing as a glass of water after a run. Mm. You're like, oh, this feels so good. It's the yeah. same. It's the ventral tegmental area, the VTA of the brain. And it mm. just activates in those moments. Yeah. So and it, is it like yeah. oxy- I know like some other things like serotonin oxytocin. can happen. Oxytocin mm. could be released. And mm. these are kind of these feel good hormones that could happen. You're connecting. When you're Right, yeah, you're, you're connecting, connecting with yeah. the person. There's a social aspect to that. And that's all part of emotional intelligence too, like knowing mm-hmm. how to empathize towards somebody. So there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in terms of strategies, also before I go into that, I just think that parents have to understand what dysregulates themselves. I want to repeat that because the more you can understand what dysregulates you and it happens by taking notes and understanding your environment, the more you can help your child because you'll understand different things that trigger. It could be, um, you know, different ways of saying something. One of my kids, a tone that I have changes how he's dysregulated. Mm. Like I can raise my voice. I'm not yelling, but I have a deeper tone, like stop, don't do that. And he completely dysregulates and we lose him for like 20, 30 minutes. Not of yelling, but he doesn't speak. He doesn't, he he disconnects. Mm -hmm. Um, And just being aware of yourself and your child will help you balance those moments a little bit more because in the moments where they're dysregulated or your partner, you need to co-regulate in a sense, right? You need to kind of find a way to to balance your emotions, to support theirs as well, which is really hard. But that's why it's important for you to understand yours. Um, mm. When it comes to emotion regulation strategies, I just want there are adaptive strategies and maladaptive strategies. And Research has shown that these maladaptive strategies do increase the chances of you having mental illness later on. So if a child never learns what to do with sadness, how to sit with it and how to Mm. move past it in a healthy way or worry, right? When they're going to be older, they're going to struggle with that and they're going to let the emotions build up. I've been teaching my kids now. They're three, five and seven. Um, I recently started teaching them about what if thoughts and it really connected well with them because... I said, do you, one of my kids, the pandemic kind of like impacted them very differently. But hmm. the the uh, worry about like germs and things around you, one of them was more impacted around that. And I wanted to be aware of that and, and bring it up in a way where I'm not pointing fingers and saying like, you know, this is not right. Like, don't think that way. So I brought up what if thoughts. And I said, think of a snowball. 
right? So we start with a, we have snow here. Uh, we Not now, but <laughs> I said, we start with a very small ball and we roll it and roll it and roll it. And we start to make a really big s- snowball to make, mm-hmm. uh, to build a snowman, right? And as we're building that, these are our what if thoughts. So imagine one what if thought, like what if I don't wash my hands and I get sick? That's mm-hmm. your first what if thought. And if you don't tell me your what if thought, if you don't write about it, if you don't come to mom and and tell me like that you had this what if thought, sometimes that what if thought becomes like the, that snowball. You might say, well, what if, what if I, I don't wash my hands and I get sick? What if I don't wash my hands and then I make everybody in this house sick? What if, and then the thoughts get bigger and more mm. complicated and scarier. So I said, the, if you could come to me and tell me in those moments, even if it's the tiniest little smallest what if thought, then we can talk about it. And when we talk about it, sometimes you realize, well, that doesn't make sense. Can hmm. can we rash, Can we talk about it and understand if it could be true? What if there's a monster under my bed? What if? Is it mm-hmm. possible? But if you tell me, we can say, well, let's look. Or is it possible for that? Do monsters exist? But if you keep it to yourself, that monster will become a huge T-Rex in your room because it's going to snowball into that. So that's my way of dealing with rumination. Rumination is a a maladaptive strategy that is the one highlighted the most in research in terms of higher likely, more likely to have uh, anxiety later on as an adult. Mm. So we need to to deal with those with kids very young and with ourselves too. If we as adults ruminate a lot, we usually don't sleep as well. Like we, we have to find ways to get that out and speak to somebody about it. Um, so that's one of the maladaptive ones. And then suppression. Somebody who is um, always saying, I'm fine. <laughs> mm. And and their body language says something differently. And you're like, are you sure you're okay? Like, do you want to talk about it? I'm good. Mm. <laughs> like, well, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, suppressing our emotions doesn't help anything. We need to communicate our emotions. And it's not weakness. Um, I, I recently um, gave a talk here at a school And this dad raised his hand and I was talking about modeling emotions and how important it is for us to model our emotions to our kids and how we use these adaptive strategies, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, And that it's okay to tell our kids that we struggle with regulating ourselves and that we struggle with, you know, a certain emotion Mm. and, and that we're learning just like them. And he raised his hand and said, I don't agree with that. I was like, cool. Why not? Let's have a discussion around it. Mm. And he said, I'm supposed to be the authoritative figure in their in their lives. And you are telling me that I'm supposed to show a weakness around emotions to my kids. Mm. I don't agree with that. And I said, an emotion doesn't make you weak or or strong. An emotion makes you human. That's all you're showing your child. And and Mm. then he was like, huh, okay." (laughs) And like, I just I I, that marked me so much. And I use this example everywhere I go. Because I just want parents to hear that because an emotion isn't about you being strong or weak. An emotion, and especially if we struggle with it, many of us were not given those strategies. Many Mm -hmm. of us have moved towards these maladaptive strategies. So there's suppression, there's rumination and avoidance. Just that that brings me anger or sadness. Not going there. Nope, not dealing with it. That's a big guy one. I think the one that a lot of men struggle with is just the avoidance because they're threats, right? They're they're threats. I get that. Most likely that dad probably was told he can't feel or feelings are mm. bad or a girl, you know, things that a lot of men are socialized to do, which we've talked about before yeah. is that, yeah. yeah, it's a threat. So why would I go there? Like, why would I show him that? Like, that's just his survival brain's going into don't do that. So I'm just yeah. going to be rigid and stoic and shut down because that's yeah. what I had to do because these are threats and dangerous. 
right? But, but it's a maladaptive strategy. Oh, so I totally agree. Just, <laughs> yes, but somebody who's listening to this, I'm mm -hmm. hoping that they understand that these three strategies, whether you are expressing them or modeling them within your home or your child mm -hmm. is showing signs of them, this is what I want parents to understand, that we want to move away from those. We want to right. find ways to move towards the um, adaptive strategies, which yeah. are reappraisal of the situation. Child is sad because they lost a soccer game. Hmm. You know, you can tell them like, buck up, just stop crying. Don't be a baby. It's just a game. Who cares? Yeah. Right. But that's going to make them either suppress it or yeah. avoid. I don't want to play soccer anymore. I'm yeah. done. Or, because you know, what like, are they? Because what's a kid hearing when the parent says that typically? Uh, well, I don't feel seen right now. I don't have mm -hmm. an emotionally safe space. I'm right. not, my emotions are not valid enough or I'm, they're hearing so much. They're mm -hmm. hearing, they're just not being supported. And, yeah. you know, somebody asked me in an interview last week, what's the difference? Like if a grandparent is, is raising their grandchild and a big part of this, uh, of their lives, what, ha what has changed in parenting? And I'm like, well, we still know that they need boundaries and limits. Because mm -hmm. somewhere down the line, this positive parenting word has led to people thinking that it's just about being their best friend and, and lo no yeah. limits and boundaries. <laughs> but they still exist. Yes. Um, but what we've learned from research now is that we need to be warm and sensitive towards their emotional needs. And the more we can do that, the more we are creating this emotionally healthy child mm. who can cope with emotions who can communicate emotions who can show empathy who is resilient every parent wants their child to be resilient because we know life is going to get tough but how can they be resilient if they're one not experiencing emotional situations right. and don't have the tools right so right that's a right if they don't have any practice right if right. all their they practices to, to yeah. suppress and avoid or whatever well then they're going to struggle you know flash forward to your five-year-olds now 35 yeah. They're going to ruminate. It, looks, it might turn into right. anxiety disorders or depression disorders right. or something else because now they've had 30 years of practice of mm -hmm. avoidance or suppression because that's what mm -hmm. they've been taught. That's what they were shown. So these are, you're right. These maladaptive strategies turn into, and I work with 99% of what I see mm -hmm. in my office is this, right? Yeah. To some degree. And yeah. then I'm working with going back and helping heal the child and stuff with them and like seeing it's, a, you know, all those things. But so that's the maladaptive stuff. So, and now for a short break. So if you're looking for ways to support the show and my YouTube channel, head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash therapy for dads. There you can make a one-time donation or join the monthly subscription service to support all that I'm doing at the intersection of fatherhood and mental health. And all the proceeds go right back into all the work that I'm doing into production, into continue to grow the show to bring on new guests. So again, head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash therapy for dads. Thanks. And let's get back to the show. What are some of the adaptive strategies, which you, yeah. you talked about? So what are those? Can we, can we kind of lay those out a bit? So there's that reappraisal one. So if mm -hmm. your child does lose a soccer game, it's kind mm -hmm. of saying, I see that it upsets you and I totally get it. You lost your game, but maybe we can practice your shots, your goal shots, or maybe we can practice your passes. Or I saw that your team was missing. I don't know. The defender was struggling a little bit. Maybe at the next practice, you guys can practice that specific technique or something right like giving them a way to reappraise the situation and kind of reassess that from an emotional standpoint or mm -hmm. you know uh you lost the game before it's okay it's part of the game like just having that conversation with them of reappraising it um, and giving them those skills and that vocabulary they will not have that vocabulary as young kids and and honestly most of us don't have that vocabulary either as adults we right. struggle with reassessing because part of that is also you know, the compassion part, like, you know, mm. I tried my best, 
well, okay, then maybe next game will be a little bit easier versus I suck. Why do I suck? I missed that game. You know, like I, 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 I should have gotten that goal and I didn't. I'm the worst player in the world. So there's, there's a whole mental aspect to that. So the reappraisal one, the problem solving comes into, so there are three reappraisal, problem solving and acceptance. So problem solving and reappraisal are kind of similar. So it's just about like, okay, what can I do differently? Problem solving just adds that extra layer of, I know going to that, I don't know, I'm thinking as an adult, like going to a specific family member's house is going to cause me a lot of trouble because they judge my parenting. The question is like, so how do I stay regulated? Yes. Um, in the green, if I can, if I'm at this yes. place. Okay. Yeah, that's or good. what's my game plan, right? Like just my game problem plan, yeah. solving is thinking ahead of a certain mm. situation. Whereas yep. reappraisal, the situation happened and now you're like reassessing yeah. the emotional valence or the, 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 yeah. like how bad is it? Right. Yeah. Um, so again, a parent plays a significant role because they are acting as the prefrontal cortex for kids. They're mm. doing the rational thinking for the child so that one day the child will be older and, and you know, fail an exam at school and they're not going to have that negative self-talk. They're, yeah. they're going to say like, well, I tried my best, you know, I'll have no choice but to like study a little bit more next time. Or, you know, there are worse things in life. Something they will have some sort of discussion yeah. with themselves. The second yeah. one, the last one, the third one is acceptance. And that's where mindfulness comes in. And that's where self-compassion plays a really big part in this. Mm. So that means in order for a child to accept certain situations, they have to be mindful and they have to be acceptance. They have to um, be self-compassionate, which means they have to have seen their parent do that. <laughs> That's why I always tell parents you need to start right. with yourself, right? Right, because we're the model, mm -hmm. right? If we're not doing it, the likelihood of our kids doing it successfully drastically decreases. Not to say they can't learn it. I mean, because there's other ways that they can learn, but the, the percentage-wise, right? I would, mm -hmm. you would, that, do you think it's an accurate statement to say? Um, they, yeah. You know, since we're the most of the, the model, if, if we can't do it, they're going to pick up what we do. And yes. it's going to be harder for them to get to that place of regulation. Mm -hmm. yeah. we, we play an extremely big part. There's mm. something called the tripartite model of parental socialization in, in, in research. And that specific model states that three aspects of a child's environment will shape how they regulate emotions. And mm. we're part of all three. So the first one is how we model our emotional regulation in, 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 in the home and with our child. Um, the second one is our parenting style. The reason why parenting style is very important is because of what I said before, where we know now we have to balance boundaries with emotional warmth and sensitivity mm. towards their emotions. So sure, we could be modeling everything we want, but then they cry and we're like, stop being a baby, right? So there, there's the modeling, there's the parenting style and how we cope with their emotions. And then the third one is really hard for a lot of parents to hear, but how we um, regulate our emotions with our partner in the home. Mm. <laughs> and that's hard. That's really hard, especially during the pandemic, um, because we were all dysregulated for three, for two and a half, mm -hmm. three years, right? Like yeah. it was really hard for us to get out of that like stressed feeling mm -hmm. and, and everybody's been dysregulated. So we perhaps weren't dealing with emotions the same way with our partners. We perhaps were not, you know, we're yelling more or, or saying things we regret. And I just, if, you know, parents are listening to this and, and saying like, oof, I, maybe mm -hmm. that home wasn't exactly what they needed. Just know that there's always a way. The repair part that you mentioned before, it's okay. it's never too late to have a conversation with the child and say, you know, I haven't been at my best when it comes to emotions, but I want to work on that. You want to try to do it with me? Like mm. my daughter, she's seven now, and we she writes a journal with me, and we write about we write gratitude journals together. Mm. And, and she, hers are a little bit different. You know, it could be a drawing or a word, but I just wanted to see that, like, 
sometimes yeah. we finish our day and we say like, oh, nothing big happened. I didn't get a promotion here or I didn't, you know, get mm. an investment here or there. But sometimes you say like, wow, that hug you gave me earlier was a mm. really good hug. I'm going to write about yeah. that in my journal. And I'm just trying yeah. to get her to practice these things. So there are lots of ways that we can model this with our, for our children. And yes, it yeah. plays a big part, especially when it comes around acceptance. Even if it's our inner voice where we're being hard on ourselves or we're not being mindful, it comes out as our behavior, right? That's emotion regulation. So the internal and the external. So we have to really mind being mindful in that moment. Again, it's another term that we're hearing a lot of, but what does it mean to be mindful in that moment? Well, are you able to pause? And mm. it's almost like your child says something or spills that milk, that milk. Can you pause and really say like, this is not the end of the world. This is not my fault. That's the self-compassion piece. I, I, you know, I, whatever language you want to have with yourself, but just knowing that like, it's not all on you and that there's a bigger world out there with other people struggling with similar things as you realizing, because sometimes we say like, oh, this only happens to me. Um, mm. Your child won't put their shoes on to go to daycare in the morning and they're young and they're having meltdowns and big emotions around it. And you're like, oh, this is only me. Like, why me? Like, why did I, I'm late for work? It's always me. But yeah. if you really the self-compassion piece opens it up to the world and says like, it's, it's not easy to struggle with this, but mm. you know, it's, it's another day and I'm not the only one. I think yeah. that helps a lot. So verbalizing all these things to your kids helps yeah. model it. And a couple of quick questions as I'm looking conscious of the time as we start to wrap up, yep. uh, just to, I think you could probably answer these quite quickly and I think they're very relevant, but with the understanding of the brain is, can we do this work, whether with ourselves or with our children? Can we do it in a hurry? If my expectation is that if we're coming out the door, my kid's tantruming or I'm having a difficult problem, that I'm able to kind of just move, like rushed, meaning the expectation is to be able to like a light switch to move on. Mm. Is that necessarily how the brain's always going to work for us? I have two answers. The first one is no. The second one is yes. <laughs> no, I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I think it's good. <laughs> I have to be honest. Tell me I, more about the no yeah. and the yes. Yeah. The, so no, you can't do it that quickly because there's a lot of work that has to happen before you can actually turn that quickly. So that's mm -hmm. why no is first is right. my answer. Yes, it, yes, yes. Right. And then yeah. yes, because actually the word that I just said, I've been helping parents kind of switch out of certain things a little bit more quickly by using the word because. So mm -hmm. it's, it's weird as a word, but the reason why I'm doing this is, so let's say, um, your partner says something to you and you you feel that it's it's really out of line and, and super rude or whatever it is you can say like how can you talk to me that way so react yeah. you're, you're reacting quickly or you could respond and take a pause and and say like oh, i remember they had a deadline today or they had a really big meeting today and say again it doesn't mean that you have to accept what happened but you can say that was rude are you okay like did something happen today do you need to talk about anything do you need a moment Right. So there's there's you're going to change how you're responding. And the reason why they change what they're responding is because in their mind, they're saying my partner said that to me because they're stressed or my child hit their sibling because they didn't have the words to express that they don't want to share mm -hmm. their toy or because they're dysregulated right now. It's bedtime and they're tired mm -hmm. and I'm late on my schedule. When right. we start adding the word because after somebody's behavior, so the external part, we start to understand and feel a bit more compassionate for the internal part. Right. Mm -hmm. So you snapped at me because you're tired and you didn't sleep last night. There's a very big difference with just saying you snapped at me. How dare you? I'm saying because right. here's the underlying reason. Mm, so that's I sort of what that. you were saying at the beginning, right? Yeah. Like what is it communicating? And if we just say, if we just state the behavior and say you did this and you said this and my child did this and behaved that way, 
without saying because we're never going to bring in that internal piece right. and we'll never understand both parts of emotion regulation, which are the behavior external right. and the internal, the feeling. Yeah. And, and I think I love that because it really does. It enables us to open the door to explore and be curious yeah. about what's really behind this, what's fueling this behavior or emotion or whatever mm. to kind of take a moment, a pause mm -hmm. to go to go deeper. And, and, I, and I think you answered it yes and no with can you do it in a hurry? Because really, if, if you're hurried, meaning if you're rushed, right, you won't be able to get there. Because if you're so stuck on your stuff, you're going to be disregulated. Because hurry is like that anxious state, like I got to get done, I got to yeah. get done. Which actually what we're advocating here, what you're saying with the brain is no, if we're stuck there, we're going to continue to be dysregulated. Mm -hmm. So we might be able to get more effective and skilled at turning, right? Because we know how to get there. So we'll be better better able to navigate more quickly from these states because we could understand because we are curious about mm -hmm. the underlying, uh, you know, the underlying need that might be not being mad or skill. And so we can speak to that. We can have our kid feel seen and heard mm -hmm. or our, our partner or ourselves. And that does help us more quickly adapt, right? But sometimes yeah. it doesn't, right? I mean, can you quickly speak to that? Sometimes even if you do all the right stuff, does it, do we always just kind of snap and come back to a place of regulation? No, sometimes we can't. And, and that, you know, I want parents to know that it's okay. I yell sometimes. I lose it. I become mm -hmm. dysregulated sometimes. Yeah. And you're going to have moments when you do. And that's okay. But mm. if somebody is listening and saying, like, I lose my cool like three times a day, five times a day, I think there's a way for you to bring it down to like once a day or, yeah. or five times a week or three yeah. times a week. I think there's lots of work that you can do that yeah. will bring you to that. Um, and, and using that word because I bring that up because, because <laughs> you can... <laughs> It just in those moments when you're completely dysregulated, it, it switches you to compassion and, and just understanding mm. that curiosity piece. Yeah. So if your system is dysregulated, there isn't a very quick way to to snap out of it. It's going to take time for you to mm. come back down that mountain again. Yeah. It might be you ha you might have to take a walk or, yeah. you know, you might have to, um, I don't know, just be alone for a moment or have a coffee alone. Like step away. It's oh, whatever it is or speak to a friend. Right. Like feel connected and feel seen. There was a therapist I spoke with from the UK and she places items that make her feel connected throughout her home. So if mm. she's in the kitchen and mm. she's having a moment of dysregulation, she'll open, let's say, a drawer that has like a, a significant item to her, let's say, from her honeymoon or wherever it mm. was. And out on her desk, there's a picture of her and her friend. Find ways to regulate yourself throughout your home. You know, like sometimes I light a little candle, a scented candle. The kids are like, oh, why are you doing that? It's for me. Mm. <laughs> it's just so I can connect myself and, and feel yeah. that this is a self-love moment. But in that yeah. really heated moment, give it time. And it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not normal or that there's something wrong with you. Just just give it time. You know, it's they're called emotion regulation skills. They are skills. And that means it takes time. The same mm. way that if you start going to the gym tomorrow, you won't have, you know, you won't have like big muscles or like you, you won't reach your goals by tomorrow. You need time. Same yeah. thing for the brain. It needs time. It needs repetition and it needs um, repetition. It just needs you to do it over and over again and, and to mm. give yourself grace to to make those mistakes and, and you'll get there. Yeah. And, and, and I ask that question only because I, I hear a lot of that um, with parents. Just, um, I think sometimes we get stuck in the expectation that then just because we're regulated, everything's going to come back. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it takes a while. And that that's okay. It doesn't mean that the skill isn't effective. It doesn't mean that um, just like the gym, sometimes you work out the gym and sometimes it feels kind of eh. 
right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it still wasn't helpful or just eating healthy. You don't always notice something immediately, right? It's not always like, oh, there it is. It's, but we do it because it's that practice and repetition that it's, we're building the skill and what does skills require? It requires practice. And so sometimes yeah. it's not always going to be this neatly perfect wrapped bow that everyone's back to green and we're all, everyone's, you know, sometimes we're, we're just maybe keeping us at yellow, not getting worse, right? Maybe it's yeah. keeping that yellow zone. We're not going to red, right? Because, which is okay. Yeah. Um, or maybe take a step down from red to yellow or maybe, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's kind of depending on what we need for the day. Yeah. Or like you said earlier, going back to earlier in the, the beginning of the podcast is like sometimes you wake up the next day and then you're still struggling because you there's yeah. still something that hasn't been met, maybe mm-hmm. a need that's still left unseen. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of realizing that while these skills, these are helpful, understanding our brain and dysregulation, working toward regulation and calm, that these are skills and they and, and it, it's not a, you know, a magic light that just clicks on all the time. Sometimes it does and it's amazing and it's like you see it and it's like, wow, at the times it's subtle, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a subtlety and, and sometimes... And I'm thinking of this with some my, my really all my kids, but when you put in the work with some of these skills, and really it's daily, hourly, sometimes minutely, depending on <laughs> yeah. what's going on, and then all of a sudden they do the very thing that you've been practicing, and as a parent you're just like, oh, like there it is. Yes, <laughs> like, they're doing the very thing that I've been, and and you said this earlier, working with them. I've been their prefrontal cortex. I've been that regulated state to help guide them to build that kind of bridge because there's a still underdeveloped. So I've been that with them so many times, like hours and ca- like hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And it's just, the it, that feels so good as a parent. And I'm thinking of some of my kid that, you know, he didn't yell at his brother um, and throw something. He just said he was able to communicate to his brother, you know, I don't like that. That is such um, a, yeah, that's a good and one. And it's, and I remember going in there, I'm like, I remember walking in, right, kind of running in happily, like, buddy, way to go, like, and praised exactly. that. Yeah. I'm like, you, you said what you needed. Yes. You didn't, you know, you didn't throw, you, you communicated exactly what you needed. And he lit up because it's like you praised, it's like a victory. It's yeah. like he won the game, it is. right? <laughs> now, the next day, you know, he did, you know, he, you know, yelled and something, but I don't then say, well, you learned it yesterday. You knew it yet. You know, it's like, no, it's, it's reinforcing because mm-hmm. it's, it's a new, it's a new game. Right. And mm-hmm. <laughs> he's getting better at it, but he still needs our help. Right. And I think, you know, you would, would you say with brain development, just to kind of wrap this up of that, even when our kid gets it right at times, it doesn't mean that we still, we just step back and expect they'll get this hundred percent of the time. No, because every emotional event will have different like factors to it. Right. Mm. So yeah. It could be the same situation, but with a cousin and he won't respond the same way because maybe it's not as an emotionally safe space with that cousin. or Maybe the cousin Mm -hmm. said something a little different. So you're always going to be guiding your kids always. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to move away from that sort of success and we're done and step back kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not like that with emotions scientists still don't understand emotions it's complicated it's so complicated like we're starting to really scratch the surface around emotions and the brain because they're so super complicated like it's it's really so same thing for us humans you know like our kids we will continue to support them Mm. the same way that we have to continue to support ourselves and our emotions and our partners with their emotions I, i tell my kids you always have to tell me how you feel and what you're thinking because if you don't i can't help you Hmm. And I, I, my partner and I now, we started saying that to ourselves to remind ourselves, if you don't tell me what you're thinking and what you're feeling, I can't yeah. help you. 
and I will always be here to help you. And I, mm. that is my goal, whether it's my partner or my kids or a friend, I want to be there for them. And, mm. and they, but if you don't express what you need, then mm. we can't be there for you. Um, yeah. the people that love you are there for you for those reasons. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah, what an encouragement, you know, like I'm here and we're working as a unit to learn to express our needs and to share even when it's messy but to mm -hmm. be there for each other. So we can, we can support them and we can kind of fill that gap. And um, exactly. where can we, where can we find you if people want to get some more support or help in this space? Like what, where can we find you? Yeah, you can head on to kirsteneron.com, which is the website. And we have blogs there written by graduate students. We're summarizing research um, studies that, you know, parents could just read the summary on our website or click on the link and read the entire study if they want to. Um, we ha I have the podcast, Curious Neuron Podcast as well. There's an academy where we have like PDFs or small webinars that they can, you know, just get again uh, one topic and all the summary, all the research around that. Um, and I also have the Wondergrade app um, that they can download and try it out for free for two weeks. Um, and on Curious Neuron, on Instagram, uh, they can look up a Curious underscore Neuron or Wondergrade. Hmm. And I will link those listening, everything for Cindy's, uh, resources will be all in the description, clickable. You click on the podcast, or if you're watching this on YouTube, it'll also be in the description. Just click on that for more. And there'll be hyperlinks to all these things, whether on Apple, Spotify, or on YouTube, easily to find it that way. You have to remember this, but it's in there. So it's at the bottom, Cindy, thank you so much. And I know that there's so much more we can unpack, but I think this really was a great overview of better understanding of dysregulation inside and out, some basic, really helpful skills to understand how we can help our kids adaptively as well as working through and changing those maladaptive ways. And, and really the encouragement for parents is, you know, it's, it's, it's practice. Um, and we all need these skills. We all have emotions, whether you're 95 mm -hmm. or five, we all have it. So mm -hmm. it's no different. Um, and we, our job as parents, I would say, is we are part of helping building that scaffolding of our kids' brains, and we can really help them develop these skills uh, more effectively and quickly. So thank you so much for your time, and have an excellent, excellent rest of your day. Thank you, Travis. Thanks for joining and listening today. Please leave a comment and review the show. Dads are tough, but not tough enough to do this fatherhood thing alone. <laughs>